Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book In the Arena by Isabel Kuhn with permission of OMF International. We are on Chapter 10, Part 1, Between the Scissors Knives. Any Christian who finds himself between two extremely dangerous situations finds himself held there without possibility of escape, needs guidance from the Lord. So this chapter will touch a bit on that subject. But first, in order that the two knives of the scissors be understood, we must explain some things. Politically, the canyon of the upper Salween was governed by the Chinese magistrates who worked with the local feudal lairds. These lairds owned most of the mountains and were a mixture of Chinese and tribes. On the whole, they were ignorant opium smokers and thoroughly evil. No crime was too low or too cruel. They perpetrated everything. And they had so much influence they were greatly feared by the Lesu. The power of life and death was supposed to be only in the hands of the Chinese magistrate. But as these magistrates were just as unprincipled, a bribe would take care of any little overstepping of authority. Comparatively speaking, the central Chinese government knew little of what went on in the canyon. Taxes were sent to the governor and the Salween was forgotten by the world, but not by the communist. The first rule of the communist doctrine is to unsettle the territory they wish to commandeer. By gangs and robbing raids and so on, they deliberately used outlaws, though they may repudiate them later. We had been settled in the village of Olives only four months when their first step of approaching communism manifested itself in the uprising led by Dayawan. He was attempting to flee to the nearest communist camp when Laird Dewan's men shot. By 1949, the communists were already entrenched in the Mekon Valley over the mountains east of Oak Flat and in the Luda district to the north of us and then the Salween Canyon itself. But the Laird Dewan's reputation for devilry and courage, coupled with his victory over Dawayan, made them proceed towards our section of the canyon with caution. This year of 1949, the church had changed the dates of the rainy season Bible school from the usual June, July, and August to March, April, and May. Also, it was held in the village of Olives for the first time. Christians in this village had built a big church on Lucian's land, and he had built a large five-bedroom adobe house just above the church in which 100 Lesu students were able to sleep. The schoolroom and dormitory were taken care of. Our bamboo shanty was next door to Lucia's new house. We were in the midst of our three months of study when news came of the Dawayang's brigand group. We heard of the fall of six treasuries, the dividing of the group. One party, led by Dawayang, went after Laird Duan. Second party crossed the river to capture a smaller official at Luchang. The Chinese magistrate who lived in Luchang fled into Burma at their approach, and it was he returning with a regiment of soldiers who finally drove out this group of bandits. Lu Chang is on the same bank of the Salween as Olives and only a morning's walk away. Taya Guan, after he robbed Laird Duan, intended to cross over, join this group, and led them on to get up. John was away in Pashan. He had planned to be with us, but a similar group attacked Pashan simultaneously with those attacking us, and John was in the besieged city for two months. He could not get out. So Charles Peterson and I went on with the school. News of the brigands reached Luchang, and Laird Duan's unexpected victory reached us on what we called our long weekend. When Communion Sunday occurred, the students were always sent extra far away so as to administer it in the village, which seldom had a special speaker. Thus, this weekend, they were gone one day longer than usual. I remember we wondered if those who had gone north would dare return to us, for it meant the brigands were only a morning's walk away from Olive's and they had sent word they meant to come to us. 
Especially did I wonder about Teacher Philemon. It so happened that on that particular weekend that he had been assigned to his own home village of Lama, far away and safely high up on the mountain. Would they not conclude that RSBC would have to be disbanded and stay at home? But Sunday night, Philemon was one of the first back. Didn't you hear the news, I asked him? Don't you know the brigands are only half a day away? Yes, he answered. That's the very reason I returned, to take care of you and Danny, Mama. Are you going to flee? Will you come to my house? Bless him. It was comradeship like that which made life sweet and knit us all together as one family. Not one student stayed away. Pop eyed with excitement on what to do next. Still, they all returned, so we continued our school. And then the Lord did the things so unusual, so perfectly timed, that we delight to call it a miracle. It was getting towards May, always the driest and hottest month of the year, just before June, when the rainy season starts. But it began to rain. Not a gentle April showers, but deluges, day after day, day after day. In the back of our house, Lucia's mother had planted a pumpkin crop, and the leaves were huge. Every morning when Danny and I woke up in the loft where we slept, we lay and listened to the plop, plop of heavy rain on those big leaves. This unprecedented downpour for some two weeks caused the streams and tributaries of the Salween to grow and swell and become raging torrents. There were several such between us and Lu Chang, and the brigands could not get across to us. Never could I remember such deluges day after day. It made me think of how Noah must have felt listening to such a downpour on the roof of the ark. It was miserable weather to do anything except teach the Bible. But we all grinned at one another and said, This is God's protection. Strange to say, before the rains became heavy, a letter from John was handed to me by a villager of Olives who had gone to Lu Chang to market. This letter had been brought to Lu Chang by one of the brigands. It seems he was the brother of a little Christian girl in Pashan. And hearing what her brother's gang was planning, she suggested John write me a letter and her brother brought it. Otherwise, we would not have known why John had not arrived. In the letter, he explained that they were besieged and he could not get out of the city, but was having a wonderful opportunity to witness to the frightened populace. That brother letter carrier was later executed in Pashan. One memory of those sopping wet days was that Abraham leading the student body in soldier drills for exercise. They had to get some exercise and outside was a hopeless mudslide. Now Abraham was a Nepali who had been led to the Lord by a Christian Lesu in Burma. He had been enlisted by the Nepal by the Gershon Regiment, brought to Burma to fight the Japanese, and abandoned when the regiment broke up at the end of the war. Not all armies pay their soldiers' way back home when the war is over. We had a group of students from Burma that year, and Abraham was a grand solution to the problem of how to get exercise despite the rain. Lucia's big house had a long covered porch, and there Captain Abraham marshaled his forces at the end of the day's school. While in the army, he had learned that the English child's game, this is the way we march, this is the way we jump, followed by the action. Danny grabbed a stick for a gun and joined in enthusiastically, picking up Abraham's accent along with the game. I was dismayed to hear our little American son going around singing, this is the way to march, this is the way to jump, and so on. By the time the school concluded, the brigands had been driven away, and a few weeks later, John was back home. But to the north of us, right in the canyon, the communists were in charge and threatening to descend upon us. It is only the fear of the Laird Duan that held them back. Nevertheless, the work of the church went on. In the autumn, it was necessary for John to make a trip to Kunming for the reprints of our books, the catechism, the first steps of reading, and so on. 
At Christmas time, many would want to buy these, and we were all sold out. But by Christmas, there were communist uprising all over the province, and again, John was cut off from us and could not get back. This time, there was no brigand messenger by whom to send a letter, so we had no notion why he did not arrive as promised. Of course, there was no telegraph in the canyon. The story of our bloody Christmas of 1949 has been told in detail in Stones of Fire. I will not repeat it here except to say that the communists chose the Christian festival for their date of liberation. Christmas is the one time of the year when farm work is slack and Christians from all over the canyon gathered for three days of worship and celebration. This year it was to be held in the village of Olives, and it was to Olives that the communists came. I was warned ahead of time by a note. Besides this, Galius, a deacon at Sandalwood Flat Village, met the band while on a trading trip. He told me they had a few armed Chinese soldiers, but also had a large number of Lozi Lopa with them. Now the Lozi Lopa were heathen Lisu robbers, noted for their ruthless cruelty. The communists, fearing Laird Dewan's cunning and machine guns, he had lately purchased some new ones to get ready for this fight, had brought the Luzi Lopa with them as a reserve, so to speak. I had heard of these Luzi Lopa from the mother-in-law of Daha John. Many years before, she had been driving goats to market when she met a band of them. They not only stole her goats, but they put her left hand on a rock and with another rock pounded it with almost to a pulp. And then they tied her to the river to her neck and left her. Wanton brutality. She showed me her hand, which dangled uselessly from her wrist for the rest of her life. These were the Lozi Lopa who were coming towards us. The note urged me not to flee, promising my safety. At the same time, Laird Dewan was making his preparations. He waited until the communists had really entered Olives, and then leading his men by the cow pass high up in the mountain banks of the dell, he opened fire from ambush. Three or four were killed, and the rest fled. By Christmas Eve, Olives was once more in the hands of our feudal lord, Yang Dawan. These were the two knives of the scissors, and we who lived in the olives were between them. Christmas Day, Dewan and his soldiers withdrew, and then word came that the communists planned to let loose the Lozi Lopa upon us, to kill and plunder as they liked in revenge, for the fact it was a headsman of olives who had appraised Laird Dewan of their arrival. Now we were in real danger, horrible danger. Laird Dewan would not come to our rescue. He had just received word that the governor, Yanan, had turned the whole province over to the communists. Now under communistic rule himself, he must make peace with them as best he might. He certainly would not try to defend us. As I said before, the mountain on which the village of Allah stands is a border country. This side is China. That side is Burma. But the road right over our mountain is such a terrible climbing that no mule could go. So we usually go by the way of Penma Pass as I could not walk such country for very long. I knew by now that I must take Danny home to America. He was six years old and was beginning to understand the vile, heathen speech around him. At Oak Flat, we had a large front and back garden fenced in. It was fairly simple to segregate him with a few children of Christians with whom he could safely play. At Olives, we were right in the center of the village, with no fence and no way to control which type became his playmates. One day in the kitchen, Danny told me he was not going to heaven. When I asked him why not, he answered darkly, If you want me to be Jesus, boy, don't let me outside that door, nodding to the one door of our shanty. Then I knew I must get him away. I taught him the Calvert course every day, but it was impossible to imprison such a lively youngster in such a small shanty. Of course, I inquired about getting him to our own China in Mission School, now moved to Kuling. But it was too late. Our secretary, Mr. Frank Perry, wrote me from Kuling. 
that Generalissimo's planes bomb Kuming Airport every day to get to Kuling is now impossible. So to travel as a refugee through Burma and then to America seemed my only way. Knowing that probably I would be shut up to this route, I had long before written to our home director asking that he contact the American Baptist Mission, promising to refund any monies that I might need to draw from them in case I had to evacuate. I had an answer from headquarters assuring me that the letter would be sent. I had been saving silver currency to pay the carriers that we would need for that long trip through the jungle of Upper Burma. I had enough money and was ready to flee in every respect but two. The Lord had not told me to go, and I did not like to go without seeing John again. But the Lozi Lopa were descending upon us. Surely that was guidance enough. It was insanity to stay. It was now that my bitter lesson of 1942 and running too soon stood in my good stead. The flesh loves excitement. It is always ready to jump up and run somewhere. It pushes and hurries us into action. The Holy Spirit does not. He is from the God of peace and his directions are always on time. Wait on God. The guidance will come different ways at different times. God is not confined to any one method, not even using scripture verses. I used the scripture calendar and the verse that morning was, Do not leave your post. Ecclesiastes 10.4 Very appropriate. Just like an answer. But Satan could use an appropriate calendar verse too, or a Bible verse. Opening the Bible at random is not defended from his manipulations. Whatever is given must be spoken in God's voice, and you only learn to discern his voice by experience. If you want to be able to hear it in the crisis of life, you must first seek it in the common places of life. It is not suddenly acquired. On this occasion, with the threat of the ruthless Lozi Lopa descending on us, I felt the verse was from him. And after deciding not to flee, I had perfect peace, another sign that it was his voice. If we had made a mistaken choice, the Holy Spirit would most assuredly disturb us about it. If peace of heart follows, we can be sure it is of him. And so it proved, day after day passed in quietness. What was happening we did not know. As a matter of fact, the Laird's messenger asking for a peace conference arrived just in time to prevent the Lozi Lopa starting out to wreak revenge. At length, the communist representatives to the peace conference arrived, and by that we knew the threat of vengeance was lifted. Again, Elisu, who had promised to escort Danny and I out through Burma, urged me to go. The weather was perfect for traveling. With February would come rains on the lower slopes, snow on the heights, and the Pema Pass would close for several months. Again, I was tempted to go, but again I felt a restraint in the spirit. Nothing tangible. Something like a light touch of a hand holding me by the shoulder, so to speak. I just had no freedom in the spirit to leave. Next time we'll hear what happened. I love you. I'm praying for you. Bye-bye for now.